Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you'll have to bear with me a little bit this morning. I'm uh, fighting off a little bit of a cold, so if I sound a little nasally or if I uh, just start coughing randomly at any time, I'll be okay. It's all right. We're just uh, getting through it this morning. Amen. So I'm really excited to be beginning this new Christmas series, Awkward Family Christmas, as Pastor Tom was saying, um, because I think it's something that we can all relate to, right? Right, as Pastor Tom was just saying, we all have those people in our family that can make the holiday time a little bit hectic, right? That time that we spend together, you know, you're, you're getting ready, you're preparing your house, and you're just thinking in the back of your mind, oh, man, they're coming. That family member is coming over. We got to, like, mentally prepare, spiritually prepare, you know, fight that spiritual warfare, getting ready for the holidays. So, but we all have those people in our family. Do you have people like that? In your family. Can I get an amen from someone? I know. I see some of you guys are a little quiet in the back there. Maybe maybe that's you. I don't know. It's all right, though. We won't judge you. This series is for you as well. Um, no, but whether it's your super political brother-in-law that's always talking about fake news, your anti-social nieces that are glued to your cell phones, uh, your nephews that are just running through your dining room that you just spent hours decorating, just having a Nerf gun war, just totally destroying it, your younger brother that seems to have forgotten what a shower was, been there, or my personal favorite, your good old drunkle. He spends a little bit too much time by the eggnog. But it's all right. Our, our families are, by no stretch of the imagination, perfect, right? We're all on the same page with that. But that's okay because, you know what, we're not alone in this. What if I were to tell you that Jesus had a couple of crazy, rough-around-the-edges, imperfect people in his family tree, too? He had some drunkles. He had a murderous great-grandpa, some liars, some cheaters, some adulterers. I'll tell you what, if they all got together for a Christmas family dinner, they would make your family look like the Brady Bunch. You guys got nothing on Jesus and his family. This series is all about exploring Jesus' family tree, skeletons and all, and seeing that despite our human shortcomings, despite our craziness, our sinfulness, our awkwardness, our imperfections, God continues to work through us. So this morning, I'd like to talk to you about redeeming hope for the holidays. Everyone say that together with me this morning. Redeeming hope for the holidays. Amen. We're going to see that despite how messed up, crazy, sinful, and awkward a situation may be, Jesus can still redeem it and bring good out of it. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce to you our first member of Jesus' family tree. Can I get a drum roll, please? Yeah, I just wanted to see what you guys would use as a drum roll. That's, <laughs> that's good. Rahab. We're going to be speaking about Rahab this morning. Rahab is Jesus' great, 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 great grandmother. Um, so we find her story in Joshua chapter 2 and 6, and Rahab lived in the great walled city of Jericho. Do you guys know Jericho? You heard of that city? Pretty much the Fort Knox of Bible times, crazy walls, crazy defenses. It was well known for that. And her claim to fame, so to speak, is providing Joshua's spies with a place to hide out from the king and his men that were looking for them. In fact, she's so celebrated for this act of faith and obedience to God as she's mentioned twice in the New Testament as an example of what faith should look like. Check this out. Hebrews chapter 11, it's also known as the Faith Hall of Fame chapter in the Bible. 
uh, mentions Rahab among some biblical giants like Abraham, Joseph, and Moses. All these guys that are, you know, biblical heroes that are just celebrated so much for their faith and their obedience to God. And they commend Rahab for sheltering the spies and obeying God. And James also, chapter 2, verse 25, says Rahab was considered righteous because of what she did in hiding the spies. There's no doubt that Rahab was a woman of faith and courage that obeyed God's commands. So what exactly is so awkward about Rahab? You know, why is she even included in this series? Right? She seems like she's a perfect model of righteousness and something that we should be aiming for, right? Something that we should be using as a role model. Wouldn't you want her at your family Christmas party? I mean, that would be pretty good, right? You can introduce her to all your family and friends, show her off like, yeah, my girl Rahab here. She hid the spies in Jericho. You know, she listened to God. She's mentioned in the the Hall of Fame. She got a plaque on the wall. It's all good. She's pretty awesome, I know. But there's one little detail that we may have kind of overlooked this morning in examining Rahab. Rahab's career choice was a little bit, little bit awkward. Her job was a little bit awkward. Rahab was a prostitute. Rahab was a prostitute. The Bible is very clear on this. It doesn't try to sugarcoat it at all. It doesn't try to cover it up at all. In fact, every time that Rahab is mentioned in the Bible, she's called Rahab the prostitute. I know I kind of maybe blew some of your Bible worlds apart there. Jesus has a prostitute in his family tree. A little different, right? How do, you, how do you see that family dinner going now, right? A little bit different. Rahab's not exactly the, the faith poster child that you were thinking she was just a few minutes ago, right? You see, just like us and the people in our family, Jesus had sinners in his family tree too. But because of his grace and mercy, there is still redeeming hope for the holidays because we don't have to be perfect for God to use us. How many of you are happy about that? We don't have to be perfect for God to use us. We never have to have everything all together. Perfection is never a requirement to be used by God. You don't have to have everything in your life in perfect order for God to speak to you and to use you. What is required, however, is a heart of faith and a willingness to submit to his direction. And we see both of these things in the life of Rahab. I'm so excited to explore this with you guys. It's really awesome stuff. So if you would, if you have your Bibles on you, turn with me to Joshua chapter 2. We're going to begin to dive deeper into Rahab's story this morning. Amen? So Joshua chapter 2 verse 1 says this. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies to Shittim. I had to check with the pronunciation with uh, Pastor Tom on that one, just to make sure I had that right. I didn't want to be talking a mess up here. So, <laughs> Yes, to shit him. Go look over the land, he said, <laughs> especially Jericho. So they went and they entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Verse 2 says, the king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may still catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof 
and hitted them under the stalks of flax that she had laid out on the roof. Sneaky Rahab. That's an example of just like what Pastor Tom was saying, God using sin to accomplish his will. He used, although, yeah, Rahab lied, he used that lie to cover up the, the spies. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Verse 8 says, before the spies lay down for the night, she went up to the roof and said to him, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for when you came out of Egypt, for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Father God, we just bless the reading of your word, God. Thank you for your grace, God. Thank you that you continue to work through and use people that are sinful, but your grace redeems us, Lord. I pray that you would just speak boldly and powerfully to us this morning through your word. In your name we pray. Amen. Can I just be honest for a moment with you guys? Is that okay? I love when God ruffles the feathers of religious people. I love when God ruffles the feathers of religious people. I love how God shakes up the norm and breaks people's rigidness. See, God chooses someone who even in our culture today, not just a Bible times thing, would have been totally outcasted, totally rejected, totally judged, totally avoided by most people. He divinely directs these spy steps right to Rahab's doorstep because he saw her as so much more than just a prostitute. He saw way past her current circumstance where she was. He saw past every mistake she ever made. Every time she sold herself short by selling her own body. Every lie that she ever told herself to make her believe that she wasn't good enough. God saw past all of that and he saw a heart that was ready to meet him. He saw a heart that was ready to respond to his call. A heart that wasn't perfect by any means but a heart that was willing See, even before Joshua sent out these spies, God began working in Rahab's heart. And as, all, as she and all the people of Jericho heard of the victories that God had won on Israel's behalf, she began to believe. Look at verse 10. She says, we heard how the Lord dried up the Red Sea. We saw how he completely destroyed the kings of the Amorites. Our hearts melted in fear because of you. After seeing all of these victories that God had won for Israel, comes Rahab's confession of faith. She said, the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Keep in mind, this was huge for her, right? Rahab lived in a pagan country where they worshiped multiple gods, right? She, was, she didn't grow up in church. She didn't grow up memorizing Bible verses. She was totally pagan, totally not Christian, totally not a believer in the God of the Bible. But Rahab didn't say that the God of Israel was a God that she would acknowledge along with all the other gods in her country. She said that he is God. That's huge. God knew Rahab's faith. He knew her desire to know him. And so in God's sovereignty, he brought her and Joshua's spies together for their protection and for her blessing. We don't need to be perfect for God to use us, but we need to have faith And we need to be willing, just like Rahab was. So let's read on and picking up in verse 12 here. 
says, now then, please swear to me, this is Rahab speaking, by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. And give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men answered her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So Rahab here makes a deal with Joshua's spies that they would give her a sign when they were attacking the city of Jericho and that anyone who was in her house at the time of the attack would be kept safe. The spies agreed and said, as long as you don't blow or cover, we're good. You and the people in your house will be kept safe. And since we're talking about awkward families this morning... I think it's interesting to note that Rahab makes this request that her family would be kept safe. Rahab makes a request that everyone in her house, her mother, her father, her brothers and sisters, would all be kept safe during the attack on Jericho. Now, it's pretty easy to imagine that Rahab's career choice would not have been the one that her family chose for her, right? Or maybe even the career that she would have chosen for herself. And I think this is true for all people that resort to selling their body for money. Right? No one wakes up one day and is like, you know what? Forget about dreaming about being a doctor or a teacher or a lawyer. I'm, I'm just going to be a prostitute instead. Right? You, know, you don't see people waking up and making that decision. And we don't know the events that, that, stocked up, that stacked up in Rahab's lives and caused her to choose this career for herself. But I think it's easy to imagine the awkwardness that existed between Rahab and her family. The brokenness that existed between Rahab and her family. It's easy to imagine the arguments and the shame felt by both Rahab herself and that her family felt for her. Right? I'm sure they didn't go around broadcasting that Rahab the prostitute was their daughter. Right? I'm sure that was something that was really a point of shame and, and contention for both of them. And, and that they both felt that condemnation. But it's also easy to see how one touch from God restores a family. It's easy to see how one touch from God restores a family. One touch from God can restore what years of arguments and hate and condemnation destroys. One touch from God brings that lost son or daughter home. One touch from God breaks addiction that drives families apart. Come on, I need someone to get excited here. If you believe that for your family this morning, one touch from God makes a hardened heart soft again. Don't ever stop praying. Don't ever stop believing because God's touch for your family is much closer than you think. And don't get me wrong here. I'm not saying that it's always going to be easy. That's not going to take work. Relationships are a two-way street. It's hard, I know. There's a sacrifice involved. Every situation is different. Family is hard. But I am saying that there is no situation that is so far gone that God can't save it. With God, there is always redeeming hope. Amen. So let's pick up our story in verse 15 and see, and see how this wraps up here. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return, and then go on your way. (laughs) Now the men had said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us, unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers, and all your family into your home. So I want to focus in on this scarlet cord that hung from Rahab's window. It's kind of an interesting detail, right? 
the scarlet cord hanging there. The scarlet cord was the symbol that would save Rahab and her family, right? That's how they would know, okay, that's Rahab's house. Everyone who's in there would be kept safe. And that couldn't be more fitting because this cord represents the blood of Jesus that would eventually be spilled to cover all of our sins once and for all and save us. We see this scarlet cord weaving its way throughout the entire Bible. Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve first sinned, God shed innocent blood to make them clothes from animal skins. This is a picture of the covering of righteousness that we received when Jesus died for us. In Genesis chapter 4, we see Adam and Eve had two sons, Cain and Abel. That's an awkward family in itself, but that's, that's a discussion for another time. Cain sacrificed the fruit of the ground. Abel had already learned that God demanded blood, so he brought a lamb. God accepted the blood of Abel's lamb, but didn't accept Cain's offering from the ground. Why? Because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Genesis chapter 2, as a test of his faith, God told Abraham to sacrifice his son, Isaac. Just before Abraham killed his son, an angel stopped him. Abraham saw a ram caught in the thicket. Isaac was set free, but an innocent animal's blood was shed instead. Then God wanted to deliver the Israelites from the land of Egypt. On the night of the Passover, God instructed each house to kill a lamb and put the blood on their door. God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And in the tabernacle and later in the temple, thousands upon thousands of sheep, oxen, and doves were killed. And their blood spilled as sacrifices for sin. And finally, Jesus entered this world, perfect and spotless, was tortured, broken, and bruised for sins he never committed for our sins, and eventually died on the cross. His death was the fulfillment of all the promises and prophecies ever made in the Old Testament. And Revelation chapter 13 goes on to say that before the foundation of the world, he was slain. He came to die. He planned to die. He lived to die. He was born to die. All for love, all for us, and all for hope. So what does Jesus' blood mean for us as believers today? Right, what's the takeaway here? What does this mean on Monday morning when you're stuck in traffic on the way to work? Or when, what does this mean when your family's driving you nuts at Christmas dinner? Jesus' blood redeems us. Jesus' blood redeems us. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 19 says this, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. I just want to ask our worship team to come forward this morning. See, in the same way that the scarlet cord was the symbol for Rahab and her family's hope and salvation, Jesus is our symbol of hope and salvation. Jesus is our redeeming hope for the holidays. A number of years ago, researchers performed an experiment to see the effect hope has on those undergoing hardship. Two sets of lab rats were placed in separate tubs of water. The researchers left one set in the water and found that within an hour, they had all drowned. The other set of rats were periodically lifted out of the water and then returned. When that happened, the second set of rats swam for over 24 hours. Why? Not because they were given a rest, but because they suddenly had hope. These animals somehow hoped that if they could stay afloat just a little bit longer, that someone would reach down and rescue them. And maybe that's how you feel this morning. Like, you're trying with everything you are just to stay afloat in life. 
You're trying with everything you are just to try and stay ahead of your schedule, of your family's craziness, of, of your financial setbacks. And Jesus is reaching down and offering hope to us and our crazy, messed up, awkward families. He saw Rahab in the midst of her lifestyle of sin, and he saw that she was not meant to stay there. God knew that she would be a part of something so much bigger. He knew that from one day from her bloodline would come the Savior and the hope of the entire world. And God sees you right where you're at too this morning. You're not meant to stay there. See, just like Rahab, we are called to something so much more, something so much bigger than just living our lives for ourselves. And God is no respecter of persons. It doesn't matter what you've done in your past or what you're doing right now. What matters is what Jesus did for you already and his blood that was shed for you on the cross. With God, there will always be redeeming hope. And I want to leave you with just one final thought this morning. Let your mess be your message. Let your mess be your message this morning. To me, the most amazing thing about Rahab's story is the magnitude of her sin because it shows how ridiculously big God's grace is. This is what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God redeems the worst of us and causes his grace to shine on us and even stronger through us, through our weakness. This holiday season, when you're with your awkward families, when you're with in your brokenness and your sin, let your mess be your message. Let God's grace shine even all the more stronger through you. Let's worship together this morning.